0: Welcome to Short Course, episode 124, for February 16th, 2024. I'm your host, Ben Barry. This is going to be a bit of a double-stuffed episode. I was I was actually planning to record with about half of this stuff last week, but work got busy and I ended up working late and just uh, missed, missed the window Thursday and Friday to record, so I figured I'd just wait until this week. So here we are. Like I said, this will be a full one, so I'll uh, try and move quickly and just kind of get caught up on everything, everything outstanding since two weeks ago when we talked about the January board meeting. So the unexpected brouhaha of the past two weeks was the the revelation that USPSA had filed for the trademark on the term hit factor in the United States. And this was revealed through public records, which you can, you can go and search on the website of the USPTO Patent and Trademark Office, and you can see everything that the USPSA has had in the past that has currently any related trademarks that have since gone vacant or dormant. But it was posted by Practical Shooting Insights on Tuesday, February sixth, that USPSA had applied for this trademark, and as was discussed by myself and Frank Rizzi, we we had no awareness that this was happening. And in fact, it was done on January 17th, which was a few days before the January board meeting. And as far as we know, uh, there was no plan to discuss it at the board meeting. It certainly was not discussed. And so the fact that it had been done, we were not asked beforehand or notified afterward, kicked off a, a lot of consternation. There was a bunch of discussion internally within the board. And thankfully, I'm, I'm happy to report that we have the the application for that trademark was withdrawn effective february 8th so basically as soon as we found out it was canceled and i think there is a, a legitimate purpose for usbsa to have some trademarks things on like on our actual name usbsa united states practical shooting association but the the trademark on something like hit factor which is an aspect of our scoring but it's not really part of our public marketing it's not something we use to advertise our matches it's not a distinctive part of our trade dress, never really made much sense. And we're looking into it. There are still ongoing discussions that, like I said, the the application has been canceled, but that doesn't mean that the whole discussion on the topic is over internally with the board. We will be continuing to talk about it. I believe it's on the agenda to discuss at the February board meeting as well. So it has not been forgotten. We are just discussing it further internally. So the other thing that has happened in the last two weeks is that Emen, as the president, called a special meeting, which can be done by the president or three members of the board on 48 hours notice. In this case, this one was, was not a surprise, but all the procedure was followed. And the strictures of a special meeting are that you have to say what the single topic is, and you can only discuss that topic at the special meeting, and you can't do bylaws changes at, at a special meeting either. So in this case, the topic of the special meeting was just taking the vote to accept the interim appointment of Jim Boone as the interim area one director and to set his set his start date. And the whole meeting was including the vote to approve the agenda, begin live streaming, accept the, the nomination, set his start date and then move to adjourn. It took six or seven minutes. So <laughs> there were actually a number of people who who uh, tuned in for the live stream and it was, it was, it was boring, which honestly, I would like to see a lot more boring board meetings or, you know, at least meetings where things proceed calmly and procedurally. So that has been done. Jim has, has started. I've gotten the chance to talk to him some exchange, some emails back and forth. And he seems like he's asking good questions, bringing up good solutions. And I, I think he'll really be an asset to the board. So I'm I'm very much looking forward to, to to having him join us. And I believe he is also running in the in the Area One special election. I don't know who else has filed a, a petition to run, but I, I wish Jim all the best in the election and we'll see who runs against him. But so far so good. Uh glad to have him. The other topic that has come up in the last few weeks that I thought is worth addressing is the the topic of the minutes from the January board meeting. So typically what would happen is the board meetings would happen on a Monday, the minutes would be written up and sent out to the board, and any changes or corrections would have to be made in time for the minutes to be posted Friday, end of day Friday. And part of the reason that there was urgency with that is the bylaws, particularly 10.2, of which we discuss very often. 10.2 said that everything, all the discussions, even in open sessions of the board meeting must be kept confidential until the minutes were posted. And so there was this kind of gag order on everybody on the board so that they couldn't talk about what was done until the minutes were posted. And part of conducting the live stream for the, for the January meeting was waiving 10.2 in its entirety, and that opened the door to a different way of, of managing the minutes. And when this was brought up on the, the, the board email list after the meeting, I, I piped up after nobody really said anything. I piped up and said, well, I think we should probably follow sort of standard practice for boards and minutes of this kind, which is the minutes are prepared in a draft state, sent out to the board members for review before the meeting, uh there'll typically be a vote to waive reading the minutes during the meeting if everybody's had a chance to review them but there will be an opportunity for people to make motions to correct the the minutes if they in their view they are not complete or not correct in some respect and then the board will vote to approve the minutes and this is this is this sort of creates a you could almost think of it like a chain of evidence where the minutes of one meeting link to the next link to the next and they 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 represent actual board agreeing that this is what happened. And that vote, you know, the a vote to amend the minutes doesn't necessarily have to pass. The vote to approve them doesn't necessarily have to be unanimous, but it does at least allow publicly registering disagreement. So for example, there was a case last year sometime that through the grapevine we've heard about that didn't show up in the minutes where there was, I believe it was the motion that Scott Arnberg made to remove Ted Murphy as president. Scott had drafted that motion. He'd written it up. He sent it to the board in text form, and he wanted it to be included in the minutes. The motion failed, or actually it was declared out of order, uh, but the motion was made. And the I believe there have been other motions in other scenarios where the text of the motion was not included, but just some sort of secondary description of, of the general gist of the motion, which should be avoided going forward, in my opinion. But in either case, because all of the discussions happening about the minutes where the draft was being sent out via email, and then any discussions or corrections had to be basically argued out, there was no vote taken, it was basically just arguing back and forth about what should or shouldn't be included, there was no, there was no transparency to the membership that this debate had even happened. And so by following this process of having the minutes be approved at the next meeting, at least if there are discrepancies or people have disagreements, those those will be recorded as you know, I disagree with this or, you know, there was a vote to make amendment X, Y, Z vote failed. So I made that suggestion, obviously not in that windy of a of a <laughs> of a digression, but I made that suggestion. Nobody on the board commented in any way, positive or negative. And a few days later, you meant said, OK, we're going with that and we'll have the the draft available. For the board to review ten days before the next meeting. How does that sound? I replied and said, That sounds good. Nobody else said anything. And that was the end of it. And in retrospect, the you know, my thought was, well, the recordings are out there, so folks that want to know what happened can can watch those. But that really didn't make sense. And I, I do think we should have some kind of draft minutes that at least record the votes that were taken who who voted which way and that sort of thing, even if they're, you know, and, and the, the draft should be prominently marked as a draft and not final and that sort of thing. So people understand that they might change, but at least have that that first draft of the the high level here's what was discussed, here are the votes that were taken, available at least on the same timeline as before, if not sooner, given that they don't nest, a draft can be released earlier because it is not deemed final. So there is an agenda item at the February meeting to, to discuss this, which I know uh, probably sounds dry and boring, but I, I do think it is important that we start at sort of the foundation level with board practices like this and and start improving them. So that's what's going on. That is why the the January board minutes have not been posted yet. It was not through any, any malicious plan. It's not, you know, there's no, nothing nefarious being done with trying to hide them. It's just as a board, I propose that that we review them and then approve them. nobody mentioned anything about posting a a draft and there has been a lot of, of member interest in having at least something to to refer back to if you don't want to go back and, and watch the recordings. So that is uh, something that we will be improving going forward, I hope. and that that's what's going on. nothing nefarious. it's just sort of moving to more of a mature board model where, the The minutes are voted on before they're they're finalized. One other sort of administrative note general update is that planning and logistics have come along such that the dates for the area six championship have been announced. so we'd previously agreed that it would be at at Belton Gun Club, but we had to wait for some logistical things to figure out the exact date and The date that we have chosen will be August 23rd through 25th. So the 23rd is a Friday, the 24th is Saturday, and the 25th is Sunday. And the the plan is the staff will shoot all day Thursday, which is the 22nd, and then there'll be an all-day Friday competitor flight. And then similar to previous years, there will be an option to shoot all day Saturday, all 12 stages Saturday, or a split day where you shoot a half-day Saturday, either a.m. p.m., and then everybody who shot a half day on Saturday they all shoot Sunday morning and then the match will wrap up Sunday afternoon after lunch, which gives us time to do teardown and get all the staff on the road and hopefully especially the ones who are driving get get back in their beds hopefully by you know by by a reasonable time Sunday night. So that is a, a schedule that I think has worked out well in the past again, people have a choice to sort of shoot all the way through in one day, or I, I mean, I, I think the split schedule probably will be the most in demand. Certainly if you want to maximize your performance, I think that is, that is the preferred schedule, but not everybody wants to to take the extra time for an area match. And so I think having that, that hybrid it's, it's worked out well in the past. And so that's something where looking at the tradition of the way the match has been run, I think that worked well. And so we're just, we're just copying it. And so that's, uh, that's the, the general schedule. Those are the dates. The staff application is open. So if you go to area6uspsa.org, that's area spelled out, and then the number six, and then USPSA spelled uspsaspelledout.org slash staff. You can see the, the various levels of staff. So we're looking for CROs, ROs, and then people who don't necessarily have a certification, as well as folks who can help on setup day. The staff package is all there. We are just doing a flat $200 cash stipend plus an additional 300 if you live more than 50 miles away from the range and you know basically enough that that you would need a hotel room. We are getting a a room block, but we are not managing individual room registrations for people. So, if you want to have a half occupancy hotel room and split one with another RO, we'll have ways for to for ROs to to connect and and find people Looking to do that, but otherwise we're not asking for receipts or anything. It's just, Hey, here's, here's the, here's a stipend, spend it on an Airbnb camp in a campsite. If you want Do you know, you're an adult, spend the money how you want. But the goal is if you come to work for us, you shouldn't be within reason out of pocket for hotel or gas and, and travel like that. So that's part of the package. The rest is, like I said, on the website area six, uspsaorg staff. We'll have a staff jersey. We'll have lunch on the range every day. We'll have a staff dinner the 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 usual stuff. but yeah, if you're if you're interested in working the match, definitely check it out. We are, and I'll talk about this some more later. We are planning to run the match as staff reset, so we are looking for a lot of staff. but the goal is many hands make light work. and so by by having a, a good crew on every stage, each individual person won't be heavily burdened by the work but each you know each stage will be able to turn their their stage around fairly quickly and uh run run the whole match efficiently but we are we are looking to continue the tradition i believe it's the last two years that that the area six match has been staff reset and i think it's been great but we'll talk about that a little bit more in a bit the if you want to get certified we will be having an ro class so the area six is at belt and gun club We'll be having an RO class there at Belton June 8th and 9th and we'll be having a CRO class at Belton August 3rd and 4th and for both of those if you take the class and then work the match you'll get your $50 class fee added on to your reimbursement so you'll get you'll get reimbursed that that fee as well and additionally the NC section is being hosted right here in Creedmoor just north of Raleigh here in here in North Carolina and for that, we'll be hosting an RO class in June on June 13th and 14th as well, and it's same deal there. If you sign up for that class and then work the match, you'll get your your RO class fee comped back to you. And just as an aside, I mean, this is there's always this question, uh, this this topic. How is you know how is Area Six able to to do these staff reset matches where everybody insists it wouldn't work elsewhere? I don't know, but I definitely think part of it is the fact that one of the things that that we do is. Have a an RO at least an RO class every year with a CRO class typically every other year, just because there's not as much demand for those associated with the the North Carolina section, but obviously with a with an area match that pulls from a wider area. So just making sure that as people come into the sport and they want to get involved, they have a, an avenue to 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 get certified if they're interested in doing that and and then be able to, to work the match. So that's something that Is is actually budgeted for in in North Carolina. It's typically out of the the budget for the section match. Basically, out of out of the proceeds remaining from each section match, about two thousand dollars is set aside to run the next year's RO class because that's that's about what it ends up costing even even after the well, the, the the fees to the individual class attendee are kept as low as possible, and then obviously a number of those are are refunded to the folks that end up working the match, but. It it basically ends up being depending on the class and the number of people somewhere in the in the neighborhood of one to two grand that it that it pretty much costs to to put it on an RO class. And that's just something that's currently absorbed by the, the North Carolina section, and that's a, a pattern that will be continuing with the with the area matches. Now, when you host a level three match, you get a something of a discount on uh, on one of the classes, which helps reduce that cost, but it won't completely eliminate it. But that's to me, that's just part of, of running a staff reset match. Is in the same way that your props cost some money, taking care of your staff costs some money, putting on a putting on classes out of the match budget, so that you have certified people to come work the match. Is uh, it's just it's just part of the the cycle, you know, year after year. It's just part of what you do. So we'll be doing that. If you want to get certified, those are your options. And obviously, if you're not in North Carolina or South Carolina, but you're somewhere else in Area Six, check the check the NROI website. They have a, a list of all the classes going on there as well. We will be opening up the, the registration for competitors sometime in March. That's deliberately vague. We're trying to get some things nailed down around some, some logistics and just a few more arrangements before we throw the doors wide open, but it is coming. Work is going on on a daily basis to get there, so it's it's coming. But if you are interested in shooting it, you have the dates, so you can, uh, you, can, you can save that now. We are also just ramping up, sending out emails and getting sponsors on board. Now, the interesting thing about the way that we are choosing to run the, the area match this year is it will be based on an all-cash sponsorship model. And as you guys have heard me talk about, you can go back and listen to Episode one sixteen, where I address this head on of basically the the issues with current sponsorship models, in particular around the fact that when you receive a whole bunch of product, then logistically you have to basically have someone to wrangle all that product and then someone to distribute it. Typically the people who receive a given prize, they're the only person who's aware that the that the the sponsor sponsored the match with that prize, with the exception of things like nationals where people walk the prize table and then everybody walking the prize table gets to see what's on it. But at a, at a typical section or area match where prizes are distributed, typically randomly at registration, there's pretty, pretty limited visibility. And so the sponsor doesn't necessarily actually get that much advertising value from the product that they send. So we are running this as a, as a different sort of experiment. And the, the sponsorship model for this match will be entirely based on cash no product, no gift certificates. The sponsorship levels are much lower than than for a, a match of this size. Considering that most sponsors will send product with a certain value, which is their retail value, not their cost of goods. So there's a there's a discount there. But the the goal is all of that money will go into making the match as best as possible. So taking care of the staff, having uh you know the accommodations on the range the best they can be. If everything works out and the, the match budget is in a good spot, I would like to be in a position to be able to do cash payouts for uh division winners, but I I'm not gonna promise that right now, just because we this is the first time we're we're running the match at this scale. This is the first time we're running the match. We have no idea what the the actual interest from sponsors will be. It may be that not all the stage sponsorships get bought out because it may be that sponsors just culturally in, in the US are not willing to 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 pay cash instead of product. And I say in the US because as I as I discussed in that episode previously, the the standard in in IPSC is that is is cash sponsorship. There's there's typically not a prize table that, at IPSC matches. And I mean I think part of that has to do with Moving gun parts internationally and and you know other other legal issues with giving away things that are that are possibly regulated parts in some jurisdictions but not others. I'm sure that's probably a part of it, but it's just logistically it's it's a it's a it's a different system. And so we're going to try it. I, I have the opportunity as as area director to use the area match as a little bit of a sandbox to to try things out and see how it works. And and so this will be an experiment. So. All of that information, if you are interested in in sponsoring, we have a number of different tiers from the title sponsor, which has already been taken to match sponsorships, stage sponsorships, and then we have lower levels. So we uh we have a a, a general sponsorship where you can sponsor some part of the range. So if you want to sponsor the porta potties because you think it would be funnier, or you wanna sponsor the the safe areas, or you wanna sponsor the the golf cart shuttles, that kind of thing. We've we've got room. We don't necessarily need it, you know. Any any sponsorship money that we have will obviously go back into the match to to take care of the staff, which is priority number one. Take care of the range, make sure they've got props and fault lines and everything refreshed. So all the wear and tear that we put on the range by bringing everybody through, we leave the leave the range in a better situation than we came with. Like I was mentioning, having an SDEG to run RO, CRO classes and that sort of thing going forward, and then if we can have, you know, competitor payouts. So it'll be, uh, it'll be an experiment. That's what we're doing. But yeah, if you are a sponsor or, you know, someone who's interested in, in sponsoring check out area six, uspsa.org slash sponsorship, and you can see the the different packages and fill out the form and talk to us about it. So that is the big area six update. And the one sort of small topic that I did want to address is is related to staff reset and this is a topic that i've addressed many times before on the podcast but i know i I definitely have some new listeners so for folks who haven't gone back i don't have any episodes called staff reset but i think generally the ones where i'm talking about the 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 past years where i'll do the carolina classic wrap-up episodes if you scroll back and look for those it's always a topic as a part of those but the the high level pitch of staff reset is that it makes the competitor experience more fair in that the, uh, you basically eliminate the risk of targets being pasted early. You basically eliminate the issues with movers being set wrong or inconsistently. And you just have, have overall a, a better quality match experience. You, the staff are the ones resetting the steel. So they'll feel if it starts to get heavy or wobbly, whereas competitors might, you know, they, they might not know what to, what to look for. So the staff can maintain the steel better, that sort of thing the competitor experience is also just overall better you have more time to either visualize for the next stage or if you need to clean your mags or sit down drink some water if you want to take notes on on how your performance is doing if you want to talk to the people on your squad you have that option i will say in a sort of weird twist of fate small world moment i actually like i mentioned area 6 in 2023 was run as a staff reset match and i shot it as a regular competitor And who was on my squad for the the two days of shooting, but now interim area one, Jim Boone. And he, as well as he and I, and as as well as the rest of the the, the squad, who just, it was a great time. Everybody, everybody there was, uh, there there were a lot of interesting discussions and honestly, they were discussions that, that we were able to have because it, it was a staff reset match. And so we were able to, you know, as we were enjoying our, our weekend, we were, I was able to talk to the uh, guy who's the outgoing he, he, at the time. He was the the North Florida section coordinator, a few other section coordinators in area six. Obviously they knew that I was running for area six. And so we got to have some good conversations about that, but it was before the election had happened. So no, nobody knew if I would win or not, uh, but also got to to talk to Jim Boone. And so when his name came up as a interim appointee, I had some sense of who he was because we'd gotten to shoot that match together and actually get to get to spend some time communicating. And so Overall, I think especially if you're traveling a long distance for a big match, it is, it just, it makes, it makes the match experience better as a competitor. You can spend more time focusing on the actual shooting as well as being there with the people that, that you're there with. I think as a staff member, it's, it is, it is very rewarding. And I say that as someone, again, I'm kind of warped because the first match I ever worked was the North Carolina section in 2013 before I was even an RO and I, I just, I was just helping to reset all day. I just shot with the, the staff on Friday and then just worked Saturday and Sunday and just soaked up the knowledge from the guys on my squad and all the competitors coming through. And I thought it was a great experience as a member of the staff. I've, I've since worked the NC section every year that it's been at Sir Walter and a few years, the last few years that, that it's been at Rowan since Stephanie took over as a section coordinator in, uh, in 2018. So you know, as a staff member, you have this real sense of being a part of a of a cohesive team. Everybody knows their job. As soon as the range is clear, everybody runs into action. You you have an efficient process, and I say runs into action, but it, you're actually again, you're not having to really sprint around or, or do anything that that heavily, that involves much heavy exertion because everybody has a well-defined role. Everybody just kind of goes to their place, resets, you know, if there's a mover or some steel that needs to be painted or a group of targets that need to be pasted, everybody kind of has their, has their assignment. And so everything gets reset very quickly. And basically as soon as everybody walks up range, the timer RO is standing there with the next shooter on deck and make ready and you just keep on rolling. So everything, everything, I, I find it, as a staff member, I find it very rewarding and, and satisfying to work. And honestly, as a as a staff member at North Carolina, I take pride in the fact that of us trying to make our match one of the best matches on the calendar. And so there's, there's that sort of pride of, of being a part of something. Uh, and then just logistically for the match, you can cycle shooters through faster, which means you can actually get more shooters in the match and make more in match fees. Now, obviously you have to pay more in staff costs, but you can make more in match fees without having to actually charge every individual shooter more. You know, I, I hear people talking about, oh, you know, would you rather have a $250 match that's staff reset or $150 match that's non staff reset. And, and in my experience that, that comparison is not, it's not nearly that stark because you get all these efficiencies from, from being able to run things, staff reset. Uh, And they're also just sort of side benefits as well. So, You can have situations like two years ago at the the Carolina Classic, we had a couple guys that had actually flown in from Utah, uh, Robert Wyatt and a, a buddy of his. They'd flown in because it just so happened that the Tennessee state match and the North Carolina state match were on the same weekend. So they were able to fly in. I guess they shot Tennessee, drove over to North Carolina, shot our match on Sunday and then flew home. And there was some kind of issue where their flight had been rescheduled to be earlier. So they basically needed to get to the airport a few hours earlier than they were expecting. And it meant that if they stayed and shot with their normal squad until the end of the match, they would, they would miss their flight. And we were able to say, okay, yeah, like this is unusual circumstance. You guys will just have you shoot through and be able to, to get on the road early. And so as other squads, as, as they needed to, to, to shoot through the rest of the bays, I think it was over lunch. I think the, 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 the staff were able to just basically run these two guys through the last three or four stages, whatever they needed after lunch, and they were able to take off. And I remember Robert, who's the the Utah section coordinator, he, he was saying, if this were not a staff reset match, I would feel like a, a huge jerk leaving my squad in the lurch because they're, you know, by shooting through, we leave them with two less guys to paste and reset, which makes everybody else's match worse because they have to spend that much more time. But because it was a because it was a staff reset match, we were able to accommodate that so little things like that, those are all kind of the, the standard things that I've talked about over the years, but the the thing that has sort of come to my mind in the past few weeks as we were talking that I think is also another another benefit of a staff reset match is it gives people a, a first rung on the ladder to get involved in volunteering. And what I mean by that is at a lot of matches where you are trying to say only take two maybe three people per stage because you're trying to keep your your staff overhead as low as possible, just naturally you tend to take the most qualified people. You're going to take the CROs and the ROs who've worked the most matches. And this can, in some areas, create this effect where it's it's tough. As as an RO looking to get into the match, unless you sign up really early or you, you know, you know the match director or something, it can it can be an issue. And if you're not certified, well most matches just don't really have any use for you. There's just, there's no way you can work until you've taken an RO class. And one of the things about, about being a staff reset match is you have that scenario. Like I was in 2013, where I was just getting into the sport. I was gung-ho about it. I wanted to get involved. And so I just signed up and I didn't have to be certified, but they had a place to put me. I got to shoot the match for free. I, I obviously lived close enough that the match was at Sir Walter. So I was able to sleep in my own bed. I got the, whatever the, the staff stipend was after the, after the match. And and I, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't be happier with how it went. And that actually gave me the bug to go and, you know, get certified, start learning to run the timer at local matches and all that. And, you know, there are a number of people that, that we've had come out to the the North Carolina match in the past where they're interested in volunteering. Uh, it might be something where from an economic standpoint, it makes it viable to go from paying the match fee and having to, you know, pay for say a hotel out of pocket to, Having your hotel covered and getting them to shoot the match for free—that that that actually flips things for people. And, but it it just it in a staff reset match you have more room for the sort of broad spectrum of people interested in volunteering. And so it's it's not something that I discussed on the podcast. But as as Steph and I were talking about Area Six and North Carolina and and just everything, we were we found ourselves kind of discussing the fact that one of the other benefits that is good for the whole ecosystem of USPSA is this attribute of, of staff reset matches being a place where people who aren't even certified can start to get experience, can start to learn from people who, who are certified, from people who are experienced. It certainly would not be a bad plan if you wanted to come, say, work the North Carolina section match as just a just a staff member, just spending a couple of days with experienced ROs and CROs on your squad, getting some sort of context for the things that happen at a major match, so that when you go to take that that RO class and that CRO class, you have the the information presented sort of falls into a into an environment where you can appreciate it more. I mean, you can imagine if you'd never shot a match and you took the RO class, all these terms about pepper poppers and fault lines and creeping and and all you know, all these all these terms of art wouldn't necessarily make sense without the context. And I think by the same token, if you if you I mean, heck, even if you just you're not sure if you want to commit the weekend because it is a Saturday, Sunday thing, even just to get the, the level one RO class, if you're not sure if you want to commit that, come come work a match, either you know, area six, NC section, any other staff reset match. I believe the Georgia section matches will be uh, staff reset this year. I know South Carolina will be, although that's in just a just over a month now. So I, I think they're probably buttoned up on staff, but no promises there. But either way, you know, come work a match. You don't necessarily have to be certified, and by running things this way, there is a there is room in this in the sport for people who want to volunteer at that level. So I thought that was a a sort of facet of the topic that that we hadn't discussed before. So I just wanted to to bring it up in the context of Area Six in North Carolina once again being being staff reset matches. And again, I, I I think this is a model that is scalable. I don't think that. Area six is is some magic land where it's the only place where things can work. I think we just have to look at what are the things that we're doing and how do we replicate that model and learn the lessons elsewhere. But at least for now, I you know, we're going to keep it going. North Carolina is going to be staff reset for the umpteenth year running. Area six will be the third year running. And I hope you're enticed either to come and work for us or to at the very least come sign up and, and shoot the match because we really do want to make them the best matches we possibly can and i think running them as, as staff reset matches is without question a part of that so that wraps up this episode of short course if you want to get in touch with me my email is ben at berryshooting.com talk to you next time